Hello, and thanks for joining us on the writer's meeting with Dr. Michael Leitman. Hello, I'm with you. Our first topic for today, International Day Against Abuse and Illicit Drug Trafficking. The International Day Against Abuse and Illicit Drug Trafficking is annually marked on the 26th of June. In Israel, teenagers are more involved in drug use. The age of drug users is dropping, and there are also children of the ages of 11, 12 that use drugs. The anti-drug authority, the Ministry of Education, the police are trying to deal with, are trying to prevent drug use as well as treating the rehabilitation and rehabilitating teenage users. Uh, it's a serious gro- global problem. The sales of drugs on the dark web has quadrupled in less than 10 years. In the U.S., tens of thousands of people, many of them young, die each year from overuse of opium-based drugs. The question is, why are people so drawn to drugs? It's what they want from cigarettes, from alcohol, from different substances that calm you down a bit, confuse you somewhat, increase a person's sensation. They like it. I'm kind of confused. It, It calms them down. It... It calms them down, disconnects them from inner anxiety, from the unknown, from what's ahead. Life becomes easier. Or altogether, you disconnect from life for some time. So that is the thing, because hard drugs don't make your life easier. They maybe disconnect you, but afterwards you need to get another hit and another one. True. I understand if you're already addicted, but why are so many people drawn to it and more and more? and It's growing all the time. First of all, maybe we don't know, but children that are born to parents that have already used drugs... They are the children. They already have a willingness toward it. That's one thing. Another thing is that there is such a broad net of drug users that sell, buy, that... It's really easy, easy to get them relatively not that expensive to buy. And to, you know, have a feel good. Uh, We're talking now about hard drugs, not about marijuana which became more or less legal altogether. But hard, addictive drugs, opium-based drugs, cocaine and others, or different um, hallucination drugs. And around this, there's a consensus that this is a problem. The question is, how do you deal with it? First of all, is there a kind of enforcement that can slow down or stop the phenomenon? I don't think so. I think that the entire war against drugs is needed for those people that make business off it. They don't use drugs, they don't sell them, but they have positions, they have plans, they get money from the government, they get paid, etc., etc. Meaning, it is very far from using drugs. If so, then do we need these mechanisms at all? We need these mechanisms like thousands of other ones that we ourselves made it so that they exist 
and that people will make their living off it. So they're necessary in order to give people a living, but not in order to really help people stop using drugs. Yeah, of course. This is a, a lost war to begin with. So what's necessary in order to help those that are addicted to hard drugs? You don't need to do anything. Why? What are you going to do? So give them drugs. Hand out drugs. We'll come to that too. Because it already exists in several places. But the question is, it's not a problem. Is it not a problem that they're addicted to hard drugs? I look at it differently. Do we want for such people to live or disappear? One of the two. One of the two, you decide. Do you want for these people to exist and live? If so, then you need to do something. You need to isolate them, give them some kind of support, drug support. And if you don't, then you need to make it so that they will disappear off the face of the earth. Well, right now, society at least says that it wants for these people to live, but for them to no longer be addicted to drugs. Look, I'm not saying that such a question exists. It doesn't. What then? The question is, do we want for drug addicts to be left? Or do we want them to disappear off the face of the earth? So, I'll jump to the last question and see. There are places, especially in the U.S., where drug addicts are given their, you know, basic conditions for living, including drugs and sterile syringes so they don't get infected. Uh, They allow them, they give them the necessary conditions so they can be stoned until they die. They're not trying to help them quit or anything. On the other hand, people that live in these places say that it only worsens the problem, not it doesn't solve it. Of course, their children might deteriorate to that too. So what's the right approach? I don't know. I'm not responsible for it. It's not something that I studied. I think that you need to make such reservations, places where people that can't be without drugs can live, like a kind of camp. And there to give them whatever they need, as much drugs as they want until they die. And that's the solution? Yes, it is. That's the solution. Why is it not the solution? Because we see that more and more people uh, turn to this channel of escaping reality through drugs. So help them in it to escape reality and die in the simplest way that they themselves choose their path. That's the solution? That's the purpose? That's the solution until you get rid of drugs altogether, that you get rid of them, that they will not not exist in the world, so that an ordinary person will not be able to get them and enjoy until you educate them in a way that they themselves will not want it. And how do you teach them not to want it themselves? How do you educate them in that light? That's a problem. That's with the help of society that is already entirely, that it already entirely understands that this is what it needs to do. How do you do it? Uh, It's not for now. It's simply, first of all, you need to clean society of all those that really can't be without drugs. And then, if in society you have people that use drugs, 
then don't worry. Then uh, for sure society won't be healthy. It will be ill for sure. People that use drugs, you know, they know how to distribute and attract other people to them to use drugs. They look, they see on a person, is it possible to attract them, pull them, and make them like him, and make him like them or not. You see it on a person. The measure to which he has the power to deal with it, to withstand it. If, God forbid, my child is in a situation where he might be exposed to it, be drawn to it, and I want to prevent I want to prevent him from going there, deteriorating to that. What do we need to do so that our children will not plunge into these situations so that he won't be able to get the drug? And they won't have some other means in order to escape from reality if that's what they want? No. Only the inability to get the drug and a big fear if uh, one will want to implement his inclination toward drugs so that around him there will be no such example of drug users or drug use. In the past 10 years or maybe more, there's a clear direction of legalizing Right now, light drugs, marijuana mainly, but before that, everyone warned, uh, you know, of the uses of marijuana and you could go to jail. So why did it suddenly become legal? What, it's not harmful anymore, marijuana? Look, this drug is so common and it grows everywhere. And, you know, it also has many good usages aside of being used as a drug. And therefore, I don't think that our attitude for dozens and dozens of years that our attitude toward marijuana was incorrect, I think. We need to invest and that people will understand that drugs always exist are always close to our use, but we need to bring ourselves closer to a different drug, which is to attain the purpose of creation, of the plan of creation, that this is what will derive our pleasure from. Because what is a drug all in all? It disconnects you from an anxiety and brings you closer to pleasure. We can do it without any chemical drugs. And what does that drug give us, the drug you're talking about? It will give man tranquility and raise him to the level of spiritual pleasure. This is what will replace his need for the current kind of drugs. Yeah? Okay. Okay, moving on to our next topic, fears. Shelly, please. We're living in, an, oh, well, we talked about this a lot on our lessons lately, and we're living in uneasy times for people. There are more than 800 ordinary fears, such as fear of heights, darkness, snakes, mental, social, economic, educational, climatic fears, etc., etc. And at most, fright, and every person has the specific fears that frighten them. So first of all, we'd like to ask, what is this force called fear? Fear comes as a result of not knowing what the future holds. Why, in certain cases, it falls out of proportion, and in some cases, it's a natural fear that protects us. It depends on the person, on the case, on the topic. 
This fear also exists in rocks, plants. We see that even in domestic animals and everything, even in plants, only we don't identify it. Fear is a necessary thing. That's there to serve us, to protect our life. How can fear protect plants, for example? Eh, It's not important to us. Leave it be. Why has reality become so alarming, frightening to a person? Why is it more frightening than in the past reality? Because there are many factors that affect a person, and a person has less data about the extent to which you can deal with all of these factors. Why are we weaker nowadays? We've developed. Uh, Developed okay, but by that we've opened many new factors. What's this fear? Uh, What does this fear come to serve in a modern person? He has no idea who's who or what is he facing, what's going to happen the next moment. He has many relatives, children, family members, different reasons that he's dependent on, and he doesn't know how to get along with it all. A person's afraid of the unknown because he's afraid of suffering or because he's afraid of dying. Both. It depends what person are we talking about. There are people that are not afraid of dying. The main thing is not to suffer. And there are people that are to the contrary. On one of the lessons this week, you said that a person is motivated by fear 24-7, that something might happen to him or he won't profit the way he wants to. Why are we motivated by fear all the time? This is our life. That, were we not afraid, we wouldn't feel that we're alive. The lack of the attainment of the upper force of the Creator awakens fear in us. That brings us many sources of fear. But the main thing is that we're distanced from the upper force, from the source of the force that sustains life. So fear, if I understand correctly, comes from the upper force, that that's how he plays with us. And he, like, pricks us by it in order for us to come closer to him, in order for us to scrutinize what do we need fear for, how can we overcome it, and how can we, or how do we get along with him? with it, rise above it. It sounds like the Creator created a very primitive creature that it's easiest to play with this creature through fear. Suffering or pleasure? That's who we are. And that's how, and according to how we exist, according to our nature, the Creator governs us through pleasure or suffering. That's all there is. So, suffering is mainly fear, or are there other kinds of suffering? Fear in and of itself is not suffering. Fear is that I imagine and vision to myself future sufferings. And if a person really starts inquiring from from the fear, out of the fear, that because it paralyzes you, that is that considered freedom, or it's like a dog that you beat it and it runs away? Yeah, that's freedom. No, no, that's not freedom. Freedom is that I rise above the fear, and I'm no longer afraid. That where I used to be afraid, now I'm free. 
And how do you do it? What does it mean to rise above the fear? By trying to be in love, connection with others. And that's only within a spiritual framework, or can any person... No, no, it's only within a spiritual framework. Today we see that many people suffer from anxieties that are many times irrational fears. It's not like being afraid that I will have no money in the bank or I'll fall and something will happen. But things that are completely irrational. Why? What's the use in irrational fear? Of irrational fear. We're living in such a complex corporeal world that we can't find for the near future or more distant one. We can't find what might be the source for future fears, for possible fears. And therefore, each of us is stressed out, has this inner tension about what might happen the next moment. From some unknown state, in some unknown way, etc., Therefore, that's how it is in our time that all of us are in very unpleasant situations. It's fears, anxieties, different problems that are the source of all illnesses, modern illnesses, that we're in and in it that we have a certain inner tension, then by that we cause inner illnesses. The body can't do the necessary compensation for these states, tense states, and therefore, at the end of the day, it breaks. And that puts a person into greater fear that my fears will eventually make me ill and it's a closed cycle. Yeah. I all the time feel that it's kind of absurd now that we're talking about it because seemingly today a person needs to be much happier. And I can't get why is he more frightened. You know, in the past, you could walk out and a lion could eat you. Today, a lion won't eat you. So why are people suffering of fear much more nowadays? What's the root? It's clear to a person how can he protect himself from a lion. But from the different thousands of forces that are opposed to him, he can't overcome them. And therefore he, he experiences inner tension. So throughout evolution, what more forces have developed against man? or What are these forces that have developed against us? It is our will to receive, our desire to receive before we succeed in correcting it. That's how it shows itself to us. What these are negative forces that increased in us? Of course, it's all inside of us. There's nothing that's outside of us. So, a person throughout evolution, his desire to receive became more sophisticated and he only increased the number of forces that are there against him? True. He reveals more and more systems inside himself that previously were on kind of hold. And now, they're beginning to awaken these systems. And what is their role? When will it be possible to use them positively or correct them? What is their role? I don't know how to put it. Their role is 
is that they're all directed in order to bring man to the truth, that he can't deal with them, but only by bringing himself to correction. And correction is something that he does by coming closer to other people. And to come closer to other people is something that he can do through their mutual work, that now they're given such an opportunity from above. He also said um, that fear is a result of lack of love. Everything is lack of love, because the general correction is love, meaning mutual connection, a mutual desire to help each other, etc., etc. From that, when we don't have this correction, then we get different fears and anxieties. It's a lack of love that's, that, it's, that I don't get enough love or I don't give enough love. Both. I'm afraid that I'm not getting love like a baby from his mom, and then he cries, yells for her to take him on her hands, and also from the other side. A person who feels lack of love, how can he start feeling or attaining love? He needs to develop love toward others and himself, and then you'll feel how much the others can give back to him accordingly. Love is something that you decide on, that you choose, or is it a present from above to love someone? It is a present from above. So what can we nonetheless offer a person who's suffering of fear? Not to miss. Not to miss the present. Can he take a step toward this present, a simple person? Yes, he can. What? Perform different actions. Helping others, for example, to give. To, what are these actions that he needs to do? Shelly, I can't talk to you. You're forcing me to start the wisdom of Kabbalah from scratch. I can't. You need to already, from a few words, to understand what I'm saying and continue. And you're not going forward, you're going backwards. Okay, I'll try it. Simply that I don't want to bring things from myself that maybe aren't precise. You already have to bring the addition from yourself and between my words to write your words. You already have to. Enough already. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the guidance and moving on to belief in God. Uh, that dropped to a record low. Norma. Belief in God in the U.S. dropped to an all-time low according to a recent Gallup poll. The vast majority of adults in the U.S. believe in God, but 81% of them have dropped by six points compared to 2017. And it is the lowest since Gallup began measuring the trend in 1944. So, more than um, in 2011, more than 90% believed in God. Why is belief in God dropping, especially in the U.S.? Because of Elon Musk. What do you mean? Because there are different such things that confuse them, confuse people, more than churches and synagogues do. To believe in what? Where is the connection with them? Where is the renewal? In the past, we lived in nature where nothing changed. Nothing. Now, every day, you have news, you have new things, we hear such people influencing the world, other people, countries, etc. 
Besides God, He's in the sky. He's hidden someplace and doesn't appear. So why should I relate to Him? We don't. If in the past, during the day, I'd used to read several pages from the Torah, from the covenant, today I don't have something like that. When do I have time for it? From, you know, from if I used to read something in the past from the Bible, from the New Testament or something, today I don't have that. You open the internet, newspaper, news, we have no place for God. So who is God in our time? Technology, money, both. But a person hangs his future on, this is his God. What a person hangs his future on is his God. Because you start saying that it's Elon Musk, and what he symbolizes is technological development. Yeah, for many people that's how it is. How does lack of faith influence a person? If he doesn't feel a deficiency in it, if he wasn't taught, he doesn't even know that there is some kind of method that can make it easier for him to deal with difficult situations. So he's not concerned with it. But if he's suffering, then... That suffering, uh, in one way or another, he finds God or people come to him and recommend him to connect to God in one way or another to make things easier. Usually it's toward old age or in states of illness, etc. Then a person, he, uh, he needs God. Otherwise, what for? What do I need it for? If not the day of death, or the option of death, I'd never think in that direction. What do I need him for? In my day-to-day life, I don't need him. From day-to-day, we're developing such systems in our life that there's no room for the upper force. That makes a person better, worse, or it's irrelevant. It makes a person detached from the upper force. If in the past, in order to go from New York to San Francisco, I really tied myself to the upper force, how will we get there on our horses? with all the means that we have. Now I know that it's not a problem. Everything depends on the airplane and a few engineers, and that's it, technicians. To believe in God, does that bring us closer to spirituality or not necessarily? People don't believe in the upper force unless they need them. So, to the measure to which we have the ability not, I have the ability not to pin my hopes on something unknown and unfelt, then I go with what I know and what I feel. Um, faith in God, belief in God, dropped especially among liberals and young people. It uh, dropped compared to 2013 and 2017. Why do young people believe less in the upper force? Where do they see him? Why do they have to believe in him? Our world is becoming ever more evident, ever more... The world doesn't need these unknown forces, supreme, superior forces. 
Give and take. Put it in front of me. Let's examine it. Let's see. And accordingly, we'll do the math. God. We see how the entire world uses this word and twists it in any direction. And therefore, there's no point. People have invented this concept and they should bury this concept. Why do liberals have less faith in God? It depends on education. It depends on a person's approach. It's the brain. We need to understand that their liberal mind, whether it's Protestant or right or left or whatever, it's all about if we could put it this way, it's more about the inner preparation that a person has, the measure to which he relates himself to the source of life, the support that he needs in life. And therefore, there are other problems here. It depends on education, it depends on the environment. That's it. Uh, married people um, and uh, well, among some people it didn't change. Why? Because it helps them, it stabilizes their life. It's like among, among married people and conservatives, Norma asked. It kind of stabilizes your life without jumps up and down when you're closer to old age, without these jumps that it's good for your family life, it's good for, you know, living in, for your life in the village, it's, it's better. I agree with it. The research also showed a direct connection between belief and political inclinations. Why are politics and religion so tied in the U.S.? At least that's how it seems. There is a connection, but... It only tells us that there is a connection, that there is a, a, a philosophical approach to life. Are you a Democrat or a Republican, that more Republicans believe in God? And how you look at, you know, Israel the upper, the higher force. That's how it is in Israel too. That's how it's supposed to be everywhere. The Supreme Court on Monday ruled that a high school football coach in Washington State has the right to pray on the field immediately after the games. He claimed the school violated his religious freedom by telling him he could not pray in public after the games. To, uh, they, they fired him in order to avoid looking like a religious school. Has the Supreme Court done justice or should neutrality be maintained in secular public schools? I'm not getting into, um, you know, life in foreign countries. I, I don't understand them, feel them. I have no interest in that. I can't understand them. The Americans, they should check and decide. I also don't understand how can I, who am so far from American life, political life, elections, etc., etc., how can I say what I think, what my opinion is here? It will be completely, completely incorrect, irrational, not serious. 
Another interesting figure, about half of those who believe in God, 42% of Americans in general, say that God hears prayers and can intervene for the sake of man. 28% say that God hears prayers but cannot intervene. And another 11% think that God does not do both, neither hears prayers nor intervenes. That is detached. Yeah, and what? So, what do you think? Does God hear our prayers? Does He intervene in our favor? I am sure that the upper force and the general force of nature that we exist in certainly feels all of our inclinations on all levels and all forms and certainly responds to it. But through a system in which he wants to through a system in which he wants to educate, teach us, and bring us to the end of correction. In the beginning of our thought, especially about this item, you said that everyone has their own God. So who is God for you? It is what I have made, shaped for myself. Which is what? Which is my God, my Creator. Can you share what it is? No, I can't. I don't want to influence you and others. Each should invent their own God and reach mutual connection with them and develop that way. We have no common God. If you want for there to be one, then please. Is there? If you want for him to exist, then probably he'll exist. Yeah, but a person needs to believe in something superior, upper, higher. He should choose for himself some, something that he believes in. I'm asking seriously. I'm telling you seriously. You can write all these words on my part. I'm telling you seriously. Everyone has a God of their own. Each should choose for himself, make some kind of idol for himself, put it at home. If not at home, then in his mind, in his... In his. We turn to these idols that we position above us. So please do it. But we want the corrected state. What corrected state? What you do is what you'll have. Corrected, not corrected, half corrected. You're doing it. You're the one who builds the Creator. You're the one who makes the Creator. Therefore, it's called come and see. What kind of God do we need to build between us so it will help us connect? We need to build one force between us that controls all of us, influences everyone, fulfills everyone. And if we connect between us, we can discover it, feel it, and enjoy it then. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Moving on to our next item about Rabbi Cook and religious Zionism. There's a new docu film about the story of Rabbi Cook who saw Zionism as a cultural, religious, prophetic renewal. We know that Balasola was also active at the same time with Rabbi Cook. They both considered the return to the land of Israel 
as very important and saw it as a spiritual step and opportunity for the nation to once again become as one man and one heart. The first question is, what is that unique spark that the two Kabbalists recognized in the first waves of immigration of the founders, the pioneers? They saw that there is a renewal in the nation of Israel in their inclination toward the Creator, toward connection, which is one and the same. People that want to connect with each other for the sake of connection. Even though that they don't know about God, the Creator, they nonetheless come closer to Him by that action. And this is what was good for Rabbi Cook and Bala Salam. They really saw it as the Zionist movement, religious or secular, doesn't matter, but movement, a movement that leads the nation to come closer to the Creator, to the upper force, and the upper force is connection and love. That's it. I don't exactly understand. You said that people that want to connect for the sake of connection, even if it's regardless, has nothing to do with the Creator, they, they, what about a soccer team, a party, a soccer team too, mister? If they want to connect with one another and enjoy together, it is nonetheless close to God. Do they ignite some special spark in their connection? True, because connection between egoists that want to enjoy together, it's already good. In that connection of egoists, does the upper force exist? There is the upper force. And even if it's fascists, fascists, well, they hate others, but were they not to hate others, but they'd connect regardless around what ideology, that's good, because they're creating a connection between them. They rise above the particular ego of each of them and wish to build some kind of common network between them. But is it not opposed to the quality of the upper force? How could it be that he dwells among them where their their goal is to destroy the other? No, no, if it's so, then yes, but if it's not... If, if it's not to the detriment of someone else, then of course it's good. Going back to the connection that existed between Jews and the first waves of immigration, when Jews, the pioneers that came here, and they wanted to connect, regardless of God, they wanted to connect, build a, the, build a country here. What did Bala Sulam and Rabbi Cook identify there that the pioneers themselves didn't identify yet? That they are in notion that is coming closer to the Creator, the upper force, Jews that want to come closer to each other and build something common between them. That's really a very unique, special kind of movement, and it can succeed and get great blessing from above. So why didn't it pan out? It did to some extent, until a certain point, but then no more, because later on it turned into an egoistic game once again. Rabbi Cook passed away before the establishment of the State of Israel. What was the role of the Rav of Rabbi Cook and of Bala Sulam after people started gathering on this piece of land? They prayed for the well-being of the country. Was there mutual completion between Rabbi Cook and Bala Sulam in this regard? Yes, they understood each other, they talked to each other, yeah. The Rabash succeeded Bala Sulam, and he uh, 
converted his Torah into practical work of connection in the group. Rabbi Cook's eldest son also succeeded him and turned his practical Torah into a form of settling the greater land of Israel. How do you see the work of the sons versus their father's work? I don't know what to say. These are two different ways. One is more religious, one is less religious and more Zionistic. Um, I really hope that at some point it will connect. These two ways will connect. That's it. That in our time too, we see how the religious ultra-Orthodox religious public that belongs to Bala Sulam's denomination, Hasidic court. The truth is that they're disappearing. And there's nothing about them. Whereas that part that belongs to Rabbi Cook is growing stronger and is building itself and their settlements and their activities. But it doesn't seem to me that neither is flourishing um, and that they have any kind of future. At what future point do you see these two blocks connecting, going back to some common point of being a nation? That they're tied to religion. It takes away a lot of their power and really stops them keeps them in place and even brings them down. Therefore, there's uh, not much to say here about the future of this or that movement, but only to the measure to which each of them or both of them will adapt uh, some kind of common acceptable form of development will they be able to exist otherwise I don't think so but who knows we see that like a seed that needs to rot and only after that a new plant starts growing from it then the same here could be that we are in a state that in the meantime it's rotting and soon something new will come from it. It says that uh, the Nazis who came to power after the murder of Arlozov, um, this is what made Rav Kuk despaired and eventually passed away. Did Balasulam feel the same kind of despair? No, Balasulam was very ill. I talked to people that, who were his students back then that lived with him. He was very ill. But not that. There, there were students, strong students, not many, but there were, and he invested, put into them as much as he could. When the nation newspaper was shut down and he felt that the generation is unworthy, doesn't it frustrate the Kabbalist? It frustrates, and therefore he said the generation is not worthy yet. And therefore... He did not continue writing these articles like Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah and the Arvut. He wanted to write 50 such articles. He already had a plan about 50 such articles. 
Rabash really regretted it. He really told me how much we have lost from it. You can't imagine. Can a Kabbalist become despaired of the generation, not of serving the Creator, but of dissemination of the generation? Of course, a Kabbalist is all in all one of the generation. He has the eyes of the generation, and he sees that does the generation um, achieve something or not. The generation that he's a part of, we also see it from ancient times, from the times of the prophets. The expression, the eyes of the generation, that's beautiful. What causes a Kabbalist to all the time keep his eyes open without shutting them? Because he takes all the desires of the generation and elevates those desires to his degree. And that's how he that's how he looks forward and sees the future of the generation. And he's either happy or he regrets it, but continues as much as he can. Uh, do we have time for another item? What item? About the Hamas that's asking us to leave the country and the BDS. And we have two more items. Okay, so be it. Okay. Hamas leader Ismail Henya calls on the Palestinians to prepare for a return to Palestine and notes that Israel is in a state of political disintegration, meaning that the Zionist enterprise has reached its dead end and that this enemy has no future on Palestinian soil. He said the beginning of the defeat is the inner disintegration of the Jewish people. Because of this situation, Henya feels that the Palestinians are in a period of victories and a generation of great changes. Why does the Hamas feel that our disintegration is the beginning of our defeat? Because that's how it really is. It's true. That's how it is, according to all calculations and according to common sense and our emotion and everything. It's true. Only he doesn't know that where there is the fall of Israel, also the growth of Israel comes from that same place. And this is something that he can't take into account. And therefore, let him talk. Let him talk. The more he talks, the more excited they'll get, and then they'll get another blow from it. And that's how it is, blow after blow, until we'll wisen up, until we will grow stronger and understand that we have no choice, but that we need to rise in our inner force of connection, and then... And only by our connection will we throw them far from here. This inner disintegration of ours, he feels like according to what? According to his position, that that's what he needs to say. You don't think that he really feels, he feels externally, but this external form doesn't say anything, doesn't mean anything. That's how they've been talking for decades already. They can't take into account the method of Israel, the purpose of Israel, the place of Israel in reality and in the world, and therefore... It's actually... It's the tree from which Israel will be saved, salvated. The tree of Amman, you mean? Yeah. 
That's beautiful. All the enemies throughout the generation, the enemies of Israel, couldn't take the method of correction into consideration. But they, why don't we feel what they felt? We feel, but we don't care. We don't care that we are, uh, that we're falling apart, that we are deteriorating. We need to wait until, until our descent will already reach almost rock bottom, and then we wake up. And how will we take the method of, it, of Israel? Because right now we don't know about it either. It all depends on the group of the team of the Bnei Baruch writers. What do the writers need to do? To publicize as much as they can. And how will the writers cause the people of Israel to listen and accept the method of Israel? Through publicity. And you need, you're already in this group of, and this ideological group that is now forming and to make sure that money won't be spent on rubbish but only on this only for this need of passing the knowledge on to the nation and the people about the purpose of Israel and the method of correction Norma, what else? Uh, thank you, something short. American ice cream company Ben & Jerry's announced yesterday that it will continue selling products throughout Israel, including in Judea and Samaria. This happening as a result of pressure from pro-Israeli organizations against the BDS boycott against Israel. About a year ago, the international Unilever company, which makes the ice cream that it doesn't intend to renew their distribution agreement with the Israeli franchise, claiming that the sales of ice cream in the occupied Palestinian territories does not align with Ben and Jerry's values. Pro-Israel bodies celebrate the decision, saying when the entire Jewish world unites to defend Israel, we cannot be defeated. Is this the kind of Jewish connection, unity that's required of us? And if not, what then? I don't take that into consideration at all. Don't relate to that. There are many such calculation politics, who knows? Don't ask about this. Ice cream, specific ice cream sold in the territories too. These are things that I don't think that these things are serious. It's a pity for us to waste even a few lines of uh, that we write about it. To give it as an example to other people, how can they take it as an example? What do they care about it? Nah. It's a market. I'm asking because um, we're trying to, we always talk about the unity of Israel, which is the solution for all problems. So, uh, it's a kind of example of un- for unity. So, maybe we can, oh, so maybe we want to explain a bit about this type of unity. Norma, from what I know about you, you will know how to fabulously write about it, right? Without asking me. Really? These are things that I can't twist it in any way, uh, in, in a way that it will be important. So we can't relate to it as an example. 
the meaning of life, the taste of life. Maybe in conclusion, sounds like you're giving us lots of independence nowadays. Norma, write freely. Shelley, put your words in between mine. Guide us a bit. I'm not going to guide you, and I'm not going to sit and write instead of you. But you need to see what is going on in the world and write yourself. And just to consult me here and there a bit once a week if you want to hear. I don't listen to the news. I barely am related to decision-making and changes in the world and nothing. What do you want from me? We want to hear from you exactly what does the wisdom of Kabbalah say about what goes on in the world. The wisdom of Kabbalah scorns the entire world, just wants to get people out of the mud that they're in, shake them up a bit in order to get all that, I don't want to say what they're immersed in, and then wash them and correct. Thank you very much. Good luck. Dudi, Shelly, Chaim, Avil, Mr. Captain, and who else do we have here? Larina and Tamar. Tamar and? Larina. And Larina. Be well, all of you, happy and productive. Good luck.